Hello, everyone, and welcome to Movies IMO. We are your favorite film fags, known more colloquially as your fave film fags, and we are here to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's recent opus, Phantom Thread. Hell of a motion picture, everybody. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Ben Empey. Ben Empey. I don't like to hear it because it hurts my ears. <laughs> wow. What's all this moaning about? <laughs> What's all this moaning about? I want you flat on your back. Is that what she says? Yeah. Helpless. Helpless. Oh, there's just too many quotes. Open. Open. I want you open like a book. Mm. Like he's the woman. <laughs> she wants to right. dominate him. And, and dominate him, she does. Ben. With poisonous mushrooms. Ben, I'm going to make you give your beautifully concise summation of the film's inherent tension. I'm going to make you do it right now. I'm yeah. going to adapt ben, what it is, from what, what is the I story? Tweeted. Ben, what is the story of Phantom Thread? Phantom Thread is, is a the story Scorpio of... and... <laughs> oh, yeah, I did say that as well. It's the story I missed of... that. It's the story of a Scorpio <laughs> and an Aries falling in love. Well, what is movies IMO but that exactly between you and me? And yeah. Cyril just watching. <laughs> the Leo of the group. <laughs> um, what I tweeted was that Phantom Thread is the story of two doms trying to make each other a sub, but it's really the story of three doms trying to make all of each other a but, sub. But one dom yeah. knowing the whole time that they're better than everybody else, <laughs> and they have had the, the controls. The they, best dom. They were the captain now from the get-go. Oh, yeah. Shoe polish from where? <laughs> his shoes. His, his shoes. His shoes. <laughs> Sorry. Who fellow? <laughs> Mr. Woodcock. Biddy is the ultimate Biddy, I gotta say. Boy. I love Biddy. Boy, Biddy is one of the perfect She's like fifth, fifth or sixth build. And again, Paul, well, the podcast is starting now. Not again. We're in the time machine, as Ron and Beverly say. But Paul Thomas Anderson has quite a facility for naming his characters. Perfectly. Mm-hmm. Biddy. Biddy. Perfectly. From his shoes. Biddy the seamstress. There's a hole in the lace on the bodice, and there's shoe polish on the front. Shoe polish from where? Biddy the dress crime scene <laughs> investigator. Yes. Biddy saw each flaw as it happened. <laughs> hole in the breast. Shoe polish on the, <laughs> on the tail. Well, what I love is first she says, like, there's a stain on it, and then later she's like, and also there's shoe polish. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's the other stain? I don't know. Biddy, Biddy's got a hawk's eye on. Maybe he did. Maybe he did barf a little. Th- this dress that or the sweat that Woodhouse the is sweat. not even happy with. And honestly, it's kind of an ugly dress. Mm-hmm. The, the princess the boobs are like, exposed yes. and have this weird like nest. Yes, a double nest <laughs> I didn't underneath like the beading. That's what I was gonna chest. say. The bodice. She the bodice. The the princess of Belgium says that she's more of a lace girl than pearl. And then he does like a pearl yeah. uh, L. Down, right. down the sternum. Remember when Vicky Creep says, or he tells her, you don't have boobs. And then she's like, oh. And then he's like, it's my job to give you boobs. Yeah. If I want to. It's like the only <laughs> time she apologizes for herself. Although she yeah. actually does it later in the, in the infamous dinner scene. Mm-hmm. The iconic dinner scene. But she's also like, oops, sorry. I'll never eat asparagus the same again. <clears throat> again. Neither shall I. Uh, quickly, Phantom Thread is the story of renowned dressmaker Reynolds Woodcock, played by 
Daniel Day-Lewis and his last on-screen performance. Is he actually retiring? He retires I, after every movie. But I choose to believe. I choose to believe. Good him. for him. I choose this to is him. okay. I love his. A friend theory. of mine and I were discussing. He is so method, right? He becomes each character when he does the movie. This is the, f- and now he has said he is going to start designing dresses, and it's because this is the first movie he can become the character in real life. He can't have yeah. cerebral palsy. <laughs> he can't be a priest. Yeah. He can't be a cad from the 1900s. And he can't be a murderer from the 1900s. <laughs> he can't be an oil baron from the 1900s. Right. He can't be the 16th president of the United States. He can't be <laughs> Federico Fellini. <laughs> Guido. He can't be the last of the Mohicans. But he but can be a dressmaker. He can found so the he... house of drainage. <laughs> so he is going to live out the rest of his days. As a dressmaker. Because he learned the craft. The, the dressmaker <laughs> this 2016. Role. Move over, Kate Winslet. There's a new dressmaker in town. Oh my god. Sorry, I've been waiting to do that bit for a week. Good bit. Good bit. No, he cannot be the 16th president of the United States. But boy, did he do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. Chic? What is that word? Fucking chic? Fucking chic? <laughs> Fuck chic. chic? Um... <laughs> Oh, Henrietta Harding. She's such an interloper. Where has Henrietta Harding been? And Cyril takes her glasses off and puts them down and then tucks, tucks her ear, oh, the hair behind her ears yeah. back. The hair behind her ears and goes, and she like puts her hands together. I didn't want to tell you yet. <laughs> Wait, hold on. So we don't talk about this on the pod, but then he says like, it hurts my feelings. Did we talk about this we on the podcast? We did talk about it hurts my yeah. feelings. Well, then it's great because then she says back, and I guess we'll say this again later, but she's <laughs> like, yeah, it would hurt anybody's feelings. Mm-hmm. And then he just keeps whimpering and complaining, and she says to shut up because it hurts her ears, <laughs> which are a little more present than feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, Reynolds Woodcock. Let's just get it. Reynolds, no, 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 I have to do okay. plot. Oh, it's important. Great. We haven't done the plot. It's important what that we say plot, what we're talking Daniel? about. What is the plot? Well, I was trying to get started, and then somebody seam-ripped my point away from me. Ooh. Never cursed. <laughs> Never cursed. Uh, to the contrary. This podcast is always cursed when it comes to staying on topic. Cursed image. <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> Reynolds Woodcock, renowned dressmaker, iconic stylist. Um, Faggot, but not actually. He's not a faggot. He's based on a faggot. But he's a confirmed bachelor, and he is meticulous about... Um, putting his hair back, tucking his sack back. <laughs> Did it remind anyone of the opening of American Hustle? <laughs> no, it didn't. The putting um, together. I have to. I have yes, to. Yes, I have did. to stay on topic. No, I appreciate you saying that. We're gonna get loopy now. <laughs> You're eight minutes into the intro. I'm getting fussy. I'm getting. George is getting fussy. George is getting upset. He's this episode too, is going to be too two and a half hours fussy. long. He's too fussy. <laughs> All right. All right, folks. Maybe you pay too much attention to it. Stop. <laughs> that, me to both of you in, the, in this intro. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. Um, Reynolds, after designing another dress in a line of fashionable dresses, goes to the country and meets Alma, who is a waitress at a hotel. They fall in love, and it becomes a power play between the two of them after he brings her back to London. And also there is Cyril, who is his sister, who is uh, one of the best characters <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I'm realizing that I've been fighting for control to keep us on task, and my plot description is just as loopy as we have been the whole time. So it's Phantom... We got through it! It's Phantom Thread. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's best film in a while. That's not controversial. Best film in a while. Best film in five years. In a while. In a while. Because they're so spaced out. In a while. And I think that's enough. Okay, bye. K Graham. Okay, shut up. <laughs> is this my house? Is this my house? Are you here? This is my house. I, I am in charge. <laughs> Are you? What's the quote? Do you have a gun? Do you have a gun? <laughs> Show me your gun. gun. <laughs> Show me your gun. Have you come here to ruin my evening and quite possibly <laughs> my, my entire life? life? Me. All your rules, your oh, we go, this goes over here, and this goes over here. <laughs> she, she actually mumumumumumas mm-hmm. in the movie. Is that confirmed? Because you just rewatched it. She mumumumumumas. She like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. This is an audio medium. People can't see me. I am clutching my collar and twisting it back and forth. Why is that not a GIF yet? I know it's on the trailer. The screener hasn't leaked. The, the screener, screener hasn't has leaked, leak and then it will be gift hell. Yes. I like when Woo. the Call Me By Your Name screener leaked because we got it all. Yeah. We yeah. got the gifts. It's all we out. We, we got, got them. We got the trunks on the face. <laughs> trunks on the face. Ass up. <laughs> that is there and it's out. There it is. Yeah, I am looking forward to every single line of dialogue <laughs> that comes out of Reynolds Woodcock's mouth in GIF form. <laughs> and Cyril will be the ultimate put-down GIF mm-hmm. of all time. The withering stare. <laughs> I am on the record. I want, like, I want, like, the letters from Iwo Jima to this movie's Flags of Our Fathers, <laughs> but from Cyril's point of view, and we can call it Phantom Stare. <laughs> Cyril. I, I didn't, my old so-and-so. My old so-and-so. I didn't pick up the first time I saw it, or I guess I was just so overwhelmed because it was in the first few minutes of the movie, but when the first visitors arrive to the house of Woodcock, and she is scowling because mm-hmm. she does not believe <laughs> in the world, and then right before she no. opens the door, she just perks up a little smile, and then, like, wastes no time, like, it's like it a up. smize. It's, it's a smize. barely a smile. It's a smize. Yeah. She walks right into the camera. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. And it's that, not even yeah, the first time shot. she does it in the movie, and this is, like, six minutes in. Mm-hmm. I just have vivid memory of her just walking around closing doors. Or that one yeah. door. In the beginning. Which yeah. is like, if you didn't get it from the title, Phantom Thread, this movie is dealing with ghosts in this house <laughs> on some level. I, it, it made me think about the, the sliding glass doors and um, Personal Shopper. Oh, and yeah. And the ghost exiting mm-hmm. the house. Oh, yeah. The and the elevator. Mm-hmm. The yeah. elevator, yes, right. What? And the doors. Uh, what does Phantom Thread mean? Like, I was going to look it up, and I'm hoping one of you did. I... Didn't I never like, looked it up, it... but I believe I heard uh, in the weeks leading up to the release that the Phantom Thread is sort of like the load-bearing beam of a building, but is First the continuous thread that supports the dress. Okay. Um, when I saw it the first time, I was like, oh, the phantom thread relates to the hair that he sewed into the lining of his mm-hmm. coat. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That was the way I took it. Right. Um, I don't see anything. Alma is the phantom means. thread? Yes. Of Woodcock? Right, and then like the phantom thread uh, binds life together. So whether or not that's love, whether or not that's obsession, like 
it is the the one continuous force that keeps you afloat. Hmm. But I don't know if that's for sure. I am pretty much just making this up okay. right now. That's a pretty good reading of it, though. Well, I do love to read. Still love reading. Bit of a bookworm. I still don't believe that it's called Phantom Thread because I heard that was the working title, so I thought he was trolling us. And so I still don't believe that it's called Phantom Thread. <laughs> Even though the title is projected twice. 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 <laughs> In two different fonts, two different styles. Twice. I love that ending, by the way. Me too. The back, title again. And it's and back to that scene. That scene where it's it's four in the morning. And we see more of that scene. Well, now we, we see initially. them working together mm-hmm. rather than him just meticulously sculpturing her. her. Right. It's a beautiful callback. <sighs> and right. then you see they, they do the three names and then it goes to black. That's right. Great. All right, boys. It is a chef's kiss. <laughs> Every single finger. <laughs> Left hand. Chinima. <laughs> it's beautiful. Boys. Yes. We are at the table. The gin has been poured. The beef eater <laughs> London gin has been poured. We are ready to go. Who wants to start? We have a cranberry mixer in the same color as Alma's dresses. Because never yes. strawberry. Never strawberry. Never strawberry. Oh, that's right. Or not strawberry, not strawberry, but never strawberry. Raspberry? Raspberry. Wait, hold on. <clears throat> it's too early in the podcast for imitations, but I'm going to do my best Vicky Creeps. Oh. Yes. <laughs> the way she swallows the word yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I love Vicky Creeps. Same. Jeepers Creepers, performance of the year. My, I mean, no, Timothy is my performance okay. of the year, but this is my discovery of like, the year. It is oh. the discovery of the year. And I, I already knew who totally. Timothy was. I've told you two this before, but for one of the film festivals I was programming for, I saw a short that Vicky Creeps was in, and the short had either played festivals before or had been written about in places. It had generated some buzz. And the short is called Pitter Patter Goes My Heart, I believe, and I would encourage anyone to check it out. It's pretty great, but it didn't really fit the criteria for the festival I was programming for. But I remember making a mental note and looking up the actress's name, uh-huh. Vicky Creeps, and, and in my coverage was. being like, this just doesn't really apply, but holy shit, this Vicky Creeps girl is next level. <laughs> and it's another sort of twisted romance. She, she plays like a woman obsessed with her ex-boyfriend, and she sort of manipulates... Uh, the situation to bump into him accidentally. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it's just same. like this desperate on him. Yeah. It's actually not dissimilar from Ingrid Goes West. It's more I meant that same than... as in my life. Oh. <laughs> oh, got it. Yes. I mean, I didn't know I was coming here to podcast. Uh, you orchestrated this entire evening. Yes. Unbeknownst to me. To moi. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was going to say. I don't know either. <laughs> I mean, why would I know? Um... The interruption stays with me. <laughs> yes, the tea goes out, but the interruption stays right here with me. <laughs> there are so many lines in this movie. It's a perfect script. When I see this for the third time later this week, I am going with, in with a notebook, and I will be writing down every single line that needs to be Like John Magaro in Carol, in Carol, writing down everything in Sons of Boulevard. For the 50th time you've seen it. But what the characters aren't saying to each other. Mm-hmm. Oh. This was one of my favorite movie-going experiences. And I'm my way over ever. here. <laughs> Not ever, but like, wow. well, maybe ever. I, I would know. say ever. I know for you, like, you can tell that story in a second. I wanted to kill myself <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to eat an uh, omelet filled with poisoned mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to tell that story, but just really quick. It, it was one of... 
my favorite movie-going experience of the year, and then it made me think that every PTA that I've watched for the first time has always been a very specific, memorable experience. Mm-hmm. The power of PTA. He is a singular filmmaker. Hallelujah. Like, when I went to see There Will Be Blood, it was, it was snowing. I was in uh, Birmingham, Michigan, in some, like, big, like, opera house turned into a movie, movie theater, theater, like, giant thing. And I was, like, seated in a balcony... It was the most grandiose experience. Well, the ever. word that I always think of when I think of PTA is operatic. Yeah. So that's especially on point. It was so memorable. But Ben, tell us about your fa- Phantom Thread viewing experience. Well, your first haunting. <laughs> so I've seen the movie three times. We've seen it a collective six times here at this table. Brandon has seen it once. Daniel has seen it twice. I've seen it three times. I uh, I drove back in from Northern California. And I was texting the film fags, and the one of you that day proposed, should we see the movie together soon? And Twas I, was, I. And I was like, no, I have to go tonight, and I have to go alone. <laughs> and I went to the Arclight Theater in Hollywood, where it is playing in 70mm, and... <sighs> and scene. The sounds of bliss, everyone. It was almost... I mean, you it compared was, it to your experience with Carol. Carol, it was just like immediately this movie is me is my soul <laughs> projected onto the screen back to me. This is my favorite movie. It is my favorite viewing experience since the first time I saw Carol. It is just well, maybe since the first time I saw Birth, but that was at home. Um, but this just like we have talked. I lost myself, and I never lose That's, myself at the uh, movies. Yeah. I was going to say, we have talked off mic about the idea of losing yourself at the movies, which in a way is that perfect high that you chase mm-hmm. as a cinephile. Um, you the know, thing you felt when you were 12. Exactly. Yeah. Which is hard to recreate. And in a less sunny way is like what people say about drug addicts. Mm-hmm. is like you end up chasing that first high. Yeah. And being a cinephile, in a way, is being a bit of a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And most movie-going experiences for me are unsatisfying even if the movie itself is amazing yeah because i'm an anxious person i have a life outside of the two hours of silence in the dark and i can't help but think about other things when i'm watching the movie Mm -hmm. um it's just it's a fact and which is why if i have to pee in a movie i just go fucking pee because i can't take in i'm already dealing with so many distractions it's Mm -hmm. hard to stay focused yeah i am with ben on this one and that phantom thread is the first movie i have seen uh, I don't know if since Carol, but I definitely can't remember. Honestly, A Quiet Passion. Um, I had a similar movie-going experience earlier this year. Um, but to be completely invested in the movie and to lose yourself into it and to um, never dart your eyes left or right because someone's fidgeting with their jacket mm-hmm. or even like... I have like restless legs and at a certain point in the movie I'm like, you've crossed and uncrossed your legs like a hundred times. I have no idea what I was doing with my feet. <laughs> like both times I saw Phantom Thread. Mm-hmm. It is just an intoxicating experience. And it enveloped you. Totally mm-hmm. enveloped me. I was beguiled wow. by the film. The music. The it's music. The music. And that's another thing with Carol, one of the great scores of all time. Mm-hmm. I think that is I mean, I've often said that sound in general is more important than the image in terms of, like, your experience watching the movie. 
and I think it has I mean there are so many moments of like impeccably placed sound in this film such as Vicky Creeps eating her toast <laughs> and the way she bites the spoon as yes, she... yes which she does in their first date yes, together I love and then she does it as it. their first meal as a married couple mm-hmm. and he just gives her that side eye yes <laughs> but he's so but he does he's not even noticing it the he first time they're notice. together yeah he's just focused on her and her love of the sauce right <laughs> when he dips his finger in it mm-hmm. uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to keep talking about the sound in the movie, but I do think that one of the wise things this movie says about romance is the ways in which those little things get on our nerves mm-hmm. with our romantic partners that are totally innocuous at first and then make you want to like put a screwdriver to your temple at mm-hmm. a certain point. Yeah. And mostly accomplishes this through sound. The sound design in this movie is so exaggerated, mm-hmm. and it helps build a sense of environment on one level because all these locations are like old 1950s um, uh, city spaces in London, and there's no in, there's no insulation in these rooms. Mm-hmm. Like walking across a wooden room with like shifty floorboards is going to sound much louder than us walking across Ben's apartment right now. Right. So it both like builds the time period and also exaggerates it to great comic effect and psychological effect. Like, yeah. add the way that she scrapes the butter on her toast. And then later, when she's spreading jam on it, you can't hear a thing. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. she learns to... What, what is he? So what's the quote? Too loud, too much movement. Entirely too much movement at breakfast. <laughs> at breakfast. <laughs> and you don't realize, like... It's when, like when, you just rode a horse across the room. <laughs> when he's sitting with Cyril at their first breakfast with the quiet girl that he dumps right at the at the start. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say Jane. Yeah, who even knows? But I also love that setup. Like, mm-hmm. even that you know, like, oh, okay. You get it right away. Mm-hmm. And then... Nothing so, sludgy at breakfast. Is that the word he said? I, I think it's sludgy. I think it's sludgy. It is. It Notice is. he does eat one of those exact yeah. things later. At the, at the beginning of his relationship with Alma. Yep. When anyway, Brandon. Yes. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Hun- the hungry boy loves breakfast. The interruption sure stays do. with you because we interrupted <laughs> you with the tea. Oh! <laughs> I love that the last line in the movie is, I'm hungry. Yes. <laughs> I do too. I'm so hungry, whatever he says. I'm getting hungry. I'm getting hungry. I think it's I'm getting hungry. I love that. I just love that that's a theme throughout. It's I'm often hungry. to, I don't know what, to the hungry boy. To the hungry boy. Yeah. My name is Alma. Yeah, yeah, because of all the foodie orders. And then uh, one of their first dates together, or, or when she's with everyone, like when she's with Cyril and, and some investor guy, and they're at that same restaurant, the same corner booth, which is an amazing detail, she... It's the first time she feels like she's getting kind of pushed out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And she just turns to him and she just says, like, you still hungry? Like, you look a little hungry. You seem thirsty. (laughs) It's so great. I love... I love their foreplay. I tried to poke holes in my mind into the romance in terms of perceived sexism. Oh, yeah. And what struck me the third time I watched it that I didn't notice the first two times is I paid very close attention to the pickup scene. And, I mean, she's immediately attracted to him as much as he is to her. But the thing that is particularly important, I think, is she has already written him the note Mm -hmm. when she comes back. Mm -hmm. And it's why Mm -hmm. when he proposes, she stays silent and then accepts and then says, will you marry me? Mm -hmm. 
She's a power player. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's such this such power play, which... They really are on oh, we'll, we'll get footing to and the double down situation. that say this is a movie about toxic masculinity and that he's taking advantage of her are totally misreading it's, the movie. It's, it's so It's not it's that it's so not there. It's not that it's not there, right. but that's not what the but movie is she about. she fights back. It's about, and it's yes, commenting it's about, on it. Totally. It's... But but she's a dom too. Yes, right. And she knows how to gain control. She gives it right back. But for, it's yeah. not just her. Cyril also mm-hmm. completely takes over by the end. Cyril and Alma build a secret alliance. There's that great moment at the at the breakfast table when she after they smile at each other. Yes, that's great. And then but she says Barbara Rose pays for this house. Yes, in close she up. She interrupts breakfast. Right after she and Alma share their first smile. Right. Cyril interrupts. But I love the moment after the failed surprise dinner, the breakfast after, the morning Mm -hmm. after, Uh um, when Cyril is sitting down with Reynolds and she's like, should I get rid of her? Because uh, she's, uh, or she doesn't, she says getting fat while she waits for you to fall in love with her again about the other girl. The girl. But but she's like, do I need to get rid of her? You're making her a ghost in this house. You're making her a ghost in this house, right. And Reynolds is like, no. And then Alma says that and she's like, I kind of like her. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm, I'm into her. It's when you yeah. realize that Cyril's on Alma's side for mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah, she's. I'm quite fond of her. Yeah, I do want to say before because this is not going to be relevant anymore. But on the idea of sound, like exaggerated sound, as related to Alma, it's worth noting that when we meet her, she is just banging into all of these tables and yeah. chairs, and that's sort of the first moment we get the heightened sound design. So that's actually more specific to Alma than it is any other the character. Sound design. And it's really. I mean, this is not sound design, but I love the way her face blushes, and mm-hmm. it's. We don't push into a close-up on her blushing. Her cheeks are so rude. So why would we need to see them? Turns red, and yeah. we are trusted to see it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, but back to that breakfast scene. That's also when Cyril says, "Oh, you shut right up. <laughs> don't Keep pick, going. Don't pick a fight with me, or you won't come out alive." I forgot the second sentence. I Fuck. got you. I got you. Uh, we have it. I will come right through you, and you won't be the one who. Don't You'll pick, a, don't pick a fight with me. You won't come out alive. I'll go right through and you'll end up on the floor. Mm-hmm. Ah. And then she sips her tea. Mm-hmm. She, she just... Okay, shut <laughs> right up. She just <laughs> sips her tea. Mm-hmm. It's Another so... year, more like another tear. <laughs> it's just so full of these micro microaggressions mm-hmm. that just build and build and... God. It's I was so, it's to... so wicked. Absolutely. I love Friend the word... Of the podcast... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kyle Stevens, uh-huh. um, and I said it's the quiet British who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Well, do you want to talk about who's afraid who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? We can for a second. We can only in that you think about the central couple in this movie that by the end of it have a fetish with poisoning one another. <laughs> I mean, you thought piss play was fun. Like these two have taken it to a whole other level. And looking, I mean, the whole movie's voyeuristic, but looking outside of it, it seems totally fucked up and not symptomatic of a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. But this is how these two people function. And we can talk more later about the metaphor that's being drawn there. Mm-hmm. But that's what you realize by the end of Virginia Woolf as well. Yeah. Because the whole movie is them playing games. Mm-hmm. It, it's the whole idea that you can't actually have a healthy relationship without some sort of sadistic uh, game that underlies the whole mm-hmm. thing. And like when he says... Because there's an inherent power dynamic in all relationships. Their first yeah. date, he says that... Uh, I can't get married because that would make me a deceitful person. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. I just think Keep in mind, uh, Alma says right back, like, you're a child. <laughs> like, I see right through this facade. <laughs> yeah. You're not powerful. You're mm-hmm. scared. Mm-hmm. He also says that um, heartbreak is the result of other people's expectations. 
and, th- and that is where this movie is about toxic masculinity. It's yeah. just not the overriding idea. Right. Reynolds is used to sucking up all the oxygen in the room. He expects everyone to bend to his will. Um, and I think the point know, that- is it doesn't validate that as a no. respectful way to live. No, it, that's what it is. It's saying that he, he is working himself into an early grave. Mm-hmm. And he is shutting himself off from human connection that will actually give his life meaning. And that's mm-hmm. why Alma wants to just slow him down. He yeah. needs to slow down. Slow down, <laughs> bitch. Barf into that bowl. <laughs> God damn, the, at the end of the movie, af- so af- after he says, Ill. yes, well, I mean, maybe the greatest line of the year, kiss me, my girl, before I get, I get sick. sick. And then the music booms. Yeah. It's and, and, and so then it's, good. You almost expect him to do a Scorsese push-in like he did in Magnolia mm-hmm. when John C. Riley mm-hmm. and... Fuck. Not Melora Hardin. Oh. That's Jan from The Office. But the oh, woman in Magnolia... Know. It's a close name to that. What yeah. You mean. When they're at the dinner together and she says, like... Would you object to never seeing me again? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, should we kiss? And then they kiss and the camera zooms in on the kiss. And you sort of expect it to be that. And honestly, in my memory, it was close camera movement to that. But he cuts between cut. three shots. Yeah. The establishing shot when DDL moves over and then the uh, the close shot of the kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Whoa, I just Googled Magnolia uh, and it's playing at Lemley NoHo, 7.30 p.m. Thursday, January 25th. I thought you were going to oh, say, yeah, they're doing tonight. A- <laughs> Tonight, let's go. <laughs> they're doing a full like one every week. They're doing a new PTA. Is it next oh, week? There will be uh, blood. Maybe because we mm. were texting about this and we were disappointed that it wasn't right. before this. Oh, you know what? You're right. They are. They're they're they are doing. They're doing so lunch. this is anyway, um, if anyone at the Limley is hearing this, you can go ahead and Venmo us ten dollars a piece for this free plug. Yeah, <laughs> we will pack the house for the PTA retro. <laughs> Thank oh, you yeah. so much. But they're not in 35 millimeters. It's true. That's but true. we will still send folks there, and they won't drink your milkshakes, but they will eat your Cool House ice cream bars. And if mm. anyone from Cool House is listening to this, <laughs> they can just send us a fiver each. We need a, we need a Venmo <laughs> account for Movies IMO. Yes. Yeah. Venmo is for all these plugs. Um, <laughs> what did I want to talk about? I wanted to talk about my... I saw it once. And my so audience... Far. So far. And my audience for this was, this is why it was one of my favorite movie going experiences this year, because my audience, they got it. They yeah. got it. They they were all in right away. I had this PTA bro, like two seats over from me, and he was so lit. I, all, old people around me were even lit. Like when that it's dinner- It's playing well to everyone. It's- it's I, fucking I've, hilarious. Yeah, I've been and in gorgeous ambient, but like it's funny. It's a comedy. I, I've been in it's two totally two disappointing crowds. Mm, that's uh, the first time I saw it, I didn't get shushed, but someone else who was laughing got shushed. And this time around, I was pretty much the only one laughing. Granted, I saw it at five thirty, right. and it was a sure. because they're playing it in seventy. It's in a big theater, right? So this theater was like an eighth full. Mm-hmm. But it's just disappointing when no one laughs at the breakfast order. When no one laughs yeah. at the breakfast order, you're like, oh, this is not going to go yeah, well. That we was, just got started. And that's one of the first bit. laughs. But the be- the funniest part about it is you think the order is completed because they've had a side conversation and he adds, and some sausages. <laughs> yes, and that's when the, that's when the first laugh yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> the Welsh rarebit and poached is the new the cream spinach and poached. Hmm. Can we just jump to the dinner scene? I need to talk about it. And how good it is. Your rules! And you're like, me, 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 me. <laughs> That scene. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sweating. I the, laugh so hard the, every time. He pours the butter, the, the butter, butter, on the side. 
picks up the asparagus with such disdain. With his, <laughs> after he has salted it for a solid sixty seconds. Oh yeah, he salts it for so long. <laughs> with his, he doesn't use a fork or a knife. A finger, baby. <laughs> He, he like flicks, <laughs> flicks it like a middle finger through the butter. <laughs> he takes the tiniest bite and he chews it with his mouth open. And then he <laughs> chews and chews and chews and chews. And then she's like, what's wrong with the asparagus? He's like, I just don't understand why. You know that I like my asparagus with oil and salt. And I can't understand why you would fix the asparagus with butter. Frankly, I'm admiring my own gallantry for eating your asparagus. <laughs> And then, and then she's upset. So she gets upset and he's like, Is this about the asparagus? <laughs> no, it's not about the asparagus. Like, and she totally fumbles the word asparagus, which is great. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> That's probably it the is, best reaction. Do you have a gun? Do you have a gun? Show me your gun. Show me your gun. Show it to me. What do you want? Have you come Are here you a spy? to ruin my evening and quite possibly my entire life? Me to the Golden Globes. <laughs> Can you imagine like Reynolds Woodcock getting butter at a, or getting popcorn at a movie theater and then putting then putting butter on it instead of oil and salt, which is the better option? Mm-hmm. He just like throws the popcorn at the art <laughs> person. I love oh, when she's making the mushroom omelet, jumping ahead just for this moment. Yeah, she yeah. puts two pads of butter in it. So much the, butter. The first, the first hunk of butter is enough of a slab. Yeah, it's chunky enough. Mm-hmm. And then she tosses on another one after she's been letting them saute. Mm-hmm. And it's the first introduction of the poisonous mushroom where the, the one of the chefs says he hates butter. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't like his mushrooms with butter. He likes them with oil and salt. And no, she, he does want the butter, but the just a little bit butter. butter. But just a little. But but uh, what my point is that that's, that's the plant butter. that he hates too much butter. Mm-hmm. And that she cooked the asparagus in butter, and there's a butter sauce. Mm-hmm. So much butter. And who knew this would be the second movie this year with poisonous mushrooms? I know. It's the third, actually. Uh, Lady Macbeth features poison mushrooms. Mm. Oh, shit, that's right. Mm. The other is The Beguiled for our listeners. If they haven't, if you haven't seen The Beguiled and you listen to us, that's really that's surprising. surprising yeah. <laughs> we'll then mow you $5. <laughs> to rent The Beguiled. Um, um, what I want to say? Uh, the... I lost my train of thought. Something someone once said to me while producing a movie, one of the producers, we were having like a really deep conversation about romance and love. And she said that uh, relationships are about learning to sit with pain and tolerating the other person. And eventually you don't feel the pain anymore. And I think this movie is the most perfect. uh, What am I trying to say? I uh, realization tr- of that. I, yeah, it's just it's it's this movie dramatization. Is a, yeah, I would say that, that the movie is... does something a little differently though. It doesn't ask the characters to sit with the pain. You see the characters inflict enjoy pain the on pain. the other person, and then they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's true. They fetishize like the inherent quality of a relationship, like the quality of a relationship that involves pain right. and, and push and pull of the power dynamic. Because I think there. of yeah. when she wants to go out dancing on New Year's Eve, and there's that moment where he's standing by the door. Like, oh my god. It's one of the funniest shots. Deciding his, to go out. He's yeah. literally just standing. Yeah. He is two inches, his nose is two inches from the door, and the, the pants that he's wearing just like have all this baggage around his ass, and he just looks like an old man. And I like the shot before that as well when, when his, his oh, foot... Oh, when he, ben, ben is... Okay, Baron and you're illustrating yeah, his, it. Yeah. His foot's out, and then yeah, Ben just... Ben he, 
teeters into frame. Leans in. And he does it. Goes out. Like and does it a couple more times. Just like Ruth Gordon and Rosemary's Baby on that, the telephone. That was the moment that the guy got shushed in my theater the first time, which is wild because that's, it's a hilarious that's shot. clearly a joke. Yeah. It's clearly Every a joke. Every moment of this movie is it, clearly a joke. He does it again, and that's the joke. Yeah. I think that Punch Drunk Love is the first time in the PTA filmography you really see him employing physical comedy. Yeah. Not that Boogie Nights and true. Magnolia don't involve like some full body thrashing. Right. But Punch Drunk Love is, is, uses, uses bit like human behavior. It has like a behavioral sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. And you get that in this too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not to get into ranking PTAs, but this is like top three. This is my second favorite. I think PTA it is like like I, Carol is for Todd Haynes. This is like. A culmination and distillation of everything he has been trying to do for 25 years. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best one, but it is the most refined exploration of his vision as an artist, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he's an interesting director to talk about considering the entire filmography and where his style and interests lie mm-hmm. in all of that. Because put Heart 8 to the side... Because that ends up having more in common with his later films, I think. But you get the one-two punch of Boogie Nights and Magnolia, which mm-hmm. paint with such a broad canvas. They are so splashy, and they just have such a braggadocio that underlines the entire style. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of crazy long takes. It's a lot of whooshing zooms. So many characters, and every emotion is just keyed up to 100. Mm-hmm. He started as a filmmaker who made the subtext text, and he has, since Magnolia, been doing his best to bury and I think it's really that important to know yeah. in the that character in the relationship. He made both of those movies in his twenties. Yeah, and his career, the 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 rising star that he was, sort of ended in his thirties pretty quickly with Punch Drunk Love, and then didn't he win Best Director at Cannes? He did, but like it didn't make that much money, and it was like a tough sell, and people were like, "It's a weird ass movie." Yeah, and it was like. He got this like he takes five years going into the Adam film. Sandler crowd. Like, what the fuck is this movie? And so, like, because it was one of Adam Sandler's first serious roles. Yeah. So yeah, he probably he got yeah he got. So the it's Adam like Sanders. um, what's it called? Like the Cinema Score. Like, is about your expectations. I don't know if they had Cinema Score then, but, but it would like, be an F if there yeah. was, and if there was, like, I'm sure what it was low. is this? Yeah, um, I went to see. Adam Sandler be funny and mm-hmm. like what the fuck. And, and instead, his rage is not a good thing. <laughs> like it, it, it's actually an underlying yeah. issue that's haunted him his entire life, yeah. and he cries too. Can you imagine that? And then no, completely unrelatable. And then we have there will be blood, Crying? which I think is the unrelatable. Film. Mm-hmm. Huh? I think there will be blood is the transition film. Absolutely. From the earlier egotistical, showy, I'm a rock star director to. His latest films, which are purely in service of character and story. Yes. Yeah. The characters really push the story. I mean, actually, I think that's true in most of his films. It is, but I think there's a way in which these movies focus on faces. And it's like... It's more refined. Of course, Tom Cruise and Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman and William H. Macy are incredible in Magnolia. But it is there's something different about the way that he shoots them that is more respectful of what they're doing. Yeah, that's right, and it's kind of... It's like he's um, taking their lead instead of they're taking his lead. Right, which is funny because in Magnolia and in Boogie Nights, he does let his camera linger on these actors' faces. He's always been an actor's director. He's always given plenty of space for actors to roam. Mm -hmm. But by grabbing more control of the reins, ironically, he has given them uh, 
more freedom to yeah. offer even more depth in their performances. Like because as the filmmaker, he's not just giving them free reign. He's being much more intentional about the way that he's going to frame them in his story and literally frame them in the scene and then let them run free. And because he's doing a little bit more work on his part rather than showing off with the camera, it has more of an impact. I feel if like that makes any sense. Maya Rudolph yeah. has really calmed his soul. Well, Phantom yeah. Thread is the Maya Rudolph <laughs> I did movie. not realize they were married. Yeah. They How four long kids. has that been a thing? They met. Enough, long enough to have four kids. Jesus. They've been together for like 15 years. It wow. was like around Punch Shark Love because like he didn't make any money doing Boogie Nights and Magnolia and he needed a job. So he was riding on SNL Freelance and... Maya Rudolph oh. has this story of the first time I walked into 30 Rock, I saw Paul. <laughs> oh my god. I love it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea they were together. Yeah. I love that Maya <clears throat> got to work with his uh, idol on his last film yeah. in Prairie Home Companion. Which he backseat directed. He, he, was, the, so he was the insurance policy. Uh, mm-hmm. He was the insurance policy. Uh, and uh, I love when uh, he gave his phone number to... Tiffany Haddish at mm-hmm. the New York Film Critics Circle Awards via Leslie Manville. Oh I God. want him to make a movie, a vehicle for his wife and Tiffany Haddish. Holy shit. I know. Could you imagine <laughs> that? As, I, I don't know, friends on a road trip. Yep. Let, let's find out what they can do. Because Paul Thomas Anderson has always said he wanted to make an airplane type mm-hmm. tone movie. Mm-hmm. Oh Just God. like I off think that the he, walls silly. I think that he tried to it. make that with Inherent Vice mm-hmm. though. I still There's so seen much slapstick in advice, but he and says that he wants work, one without it... like a genre element. Oh, I see. Just where the genre is balls it's, to the wall yes. comedy. That's why he wants Tiffany. Mm-hmm. I would fucking cry and laugh. But it'll be five and years scream. before we get another movie. Well, yeah. Lately, he's been working at an accelerated clip. I think it's because Inherent Advice is not an original. Yeah, that's, right. That's probably His right. original movies have come out every five years five. since. Punch Drunk Love. I've done the math. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But Inherent Vice was a one-off. Yeah, it's because there was anomaly. already a book, so he wrote it. Right. Yeah, but it's not like it was, um, uh, it's not like it was Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, it was right. a pension novel. Right. Like, right, it wasn't like, not, this is not a pun, but threading that needle with pension is no uh, small Bless task. You. Like, to make sense of such a cobwebbed narrative and, yeah. like, intricately confused. Yeah. You know, it's not like it did, well, didn't take a lot of effort to turn Pynchon into something right. that was filmable mm-hmm. and better yet, coherent. Right. Okay. Um, I want to go back. I want to go back to the costumes of. I'd love to talk about the costumes. Phantom Thread. Uh, one of my favorite scenes was when he's just getting the models ready mm-hmm. to, to go on the walk. It was just so exhilarating seeing Woodcock work. Like, that's when you see him in his element and what he does. And I just really love that scene. And totally control freaking. Totally. So, oh, yeah. Ob- so obsessive. Let me do it. Yeah. 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 The, the collar's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you get the great psycho homage with him mm-hmm. looking through the, looks through the peephole. It has to win best costume, right? There's no well, way it doesn't. If we want to talk about I want to keep talking about the costumes, but quickly as a one off about this movie's Oscar chances. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets nothing on Oscar morning. Um, you would think that DDL and costume design would be slam dunks, and they probably are. And score. And s- score. Well, I think those Greenwood are, is... I think those are the three nominations. I think those three will happen. I'm not saying that they won't happen. I think certainly DDL and costumes will happen. Score. Oh, and Leslie Manville, I think, will happen. 
You think that'll be the big surprise? I think I think she's the fifth over Octavia. Or and Hong Chao too. No, wait. Allison, Lori, Hong Chao, Holly Hunter, Leslie. Okay. I think that's it. Alright, that's your five. Ding. I I'm gonna Those go I'm gonna go Octavia over Leslie, even though Leslie I think, is my Because I think it's around. just I think uh just like the way I know you had weak audiences and I had strong audiences, but I'm just like I saw it with Academy type of voter nice. audiences. Well, that's encouraging because definitely my two experiences have informed where I'm coming from on this, mm-hmm. where it was pretty sedate in the audience, where I was lit as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lit. My audience was lit. Yeah, I was so pleased. I think it could be. I just wanted to stand up and shout through the whole like thing. the master, where it's like it gets the acting nominations. Yeah, but keep in mind the master, master came out got in September, three, right? Now. right? Yeah. The Master had time to build momentum. Phantom Thread is coming out at the very last second, and, and it doesn't like, even go wide until... Uh, 12? By, by the time this it's, comes out, it will have been released a little wider. Right. But, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it, I think it gets those nominations. Score is iffy for me, only because mm-hmm. Greenwood scores, I don't think, have been received by the Academy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Off know if any of them have. But this is certainly the... Um, would, would, so, it would play to their strengths. It has yeah. a layer of sophistication to it. It sounds like 50s jazz music. What I love about the score is that the first notes you hear about it over the Phantom Thread title are sort of alien, and you yeah. and you think this is going to be sort of uh, in the same vein as the There Will Be Blood score, which just sounds like yeah. soft sounds from another planet to mm-hmm. plug the Japanese breakfast album. Nice. But then, after the title, it does move into these sort of swooning strings and, and classic jazz sounds. And um, that, There's a moment... So like, it does have an advantage of familiarity there. Cyril pisses off Woodcock, and then it, the scene ends on her face, and there's like a discordant yeah. note. And then it just it's immediately Hitchcock, goes into like a lilting, beautiful yeah. thing. And it's like... Both notes make sense. It doesn't feel That's like right. it's moving into a it's new It's not song. discordant whatsoever. It's yeah. totally... Uh, but it's just like every note falls tied with another. that image. Yeah. You think it is. I do want to go back to the costumes. Yeah. That's okay. Yes, because you have things to say. Well, just so that, that the first time I saw the movie, I found myself trying to dig into the subtext and then shut myself up. Like, only pay attention to the characters, the plot. Just let yourself... Be you know, let this movie wash over you. So I guess that's the only time in the, when I saw it for the first time that I got out of my head. It was like, or got in my head. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, no, no. Like, don't try and intellectualize any of this. Don't try and uh, interpret. Just let it happen. And the second time around, immediately, I was struck by how the costume design informs Woodcock's psychology, mm-hmm. which is that he is obsessed with the past. He is obsessed with his dead mother. He is obsessed with... Oh the yeah, dead the dead, yeah, well, the ghost of the we'll mother. Get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But Woodcock is afraid of change. Woodcock likes the beginning of things, like Don Draper, but he can never fully commit to when anyone. When he's in his routine, it's best left undisturbed. Exactly. Ooh. He doesn't want to introduce change. It's no mistake that he and Alma have an altercation on New Year's. He doesn't want to go celebrate the New Year. He's too mm-hmm. busy, um, you know, crafting beautiful dresses that harken back to an older period. It's why he hates the idea of chic. And chic. Oh my fuck, god. Fucking chic? What does that word even mean? <laughs> chic? <laughs> and it's Alma not only convinces him to actually be in an adult relationship with him, but she drags him into the present and into the future. Yeah. And I think that after they have finally decided that they're into their poisonous mushroom fetish, mm-hmm. for me, like the best moment of the movie is right before he says, um, Kiss me, my, kiss girl. Me, my dear, uh, before I get sick. Mm-hmm. Kissing my girl before I get sick. 
is the close-ups on his face while he's chewing the mushrooms, and you realize he's into this. I, he is into the fact that he's eating poison. This, yeah. this is all to say, in, to, to uh, put a pin in it, that if we were to continue seeing how Woodcock designs dresses, they will begin to adapt to a little bit more of a modern sensibility, yeah. and that is Alma's influence. All great artists evolve, and that's Woodcock's fallacy, is that he wants to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, through love, he is forced into accepting new things as they come. Yeah. And that is how I interpret the costume design. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, at the end, when he excuses himself to go ask Cyril, and like, I've made a mistake marrying Alma, Alma takes the bow and she puts it on the woman without being asked to do that. She just takes it upon herself to become, before she was inserting herself as a craftsman, now she is inserting herself as an artist. Yep. Yeah. And, and when that... you see the first dress that she's designed, Woodcock is sort of stunned by it. He's like, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. Good work. Yeah. But I don't know what to make of this. He's yeah. a little afraid this is of contemporary. Yeah. Um, he's forced into the future. He's forced into accepting new things. Mm-hmm. I think it's really. Interesting. I know he's not literally the only male character, but he's the only male character in the film. There's the doctor, but we don't really. He's just like no. He the serves. He's in the framing the device. The doctor serves a purpose twice <laughs> as a narrative function. Twice is nice. right. There are female characters, including my favorite Barbara Rose. We'll have a Barbara Rose moment. Oh yeah, yeah. We need to talk about Barbara Rose. Harriet Sampson Harris, to be continued. Tony Award winner. That's right. She's incredible. Fraser's agent on. Frasier. <laughs> oh, that's where I know we're yes. from. <laughs> um, but I think it's really interesting that he is surrounded by women in his mm-hmm. life, and that the most important person in his life was his mother. And mm-hmm. we can talk about the mother because I still, it's not. I just I don't have a problem with it, but I I don't know why the mother is there in the scene. I think it's just so haunting and just drives home the fact that this house is Like, I get that, it's a, that this is a ghost movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, the first thing we learn about Reynolds is how much he loves his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know this because after he, in, after he debuts his newest dress with um, uh, Henrietta Harding mm-hmm. of the Tanya Hardings, <laughs> that he goes to his regular booth for dinner with Cyril... And all he wants to talk about is whether or not his dead mom was watching from heaven. <laughs> and, and he says, you know, some people think the idea of the dead watching over us is spooky. Not I. And then he fucks off to the country, meets Alma, and on their first date, while they're at the restaurant, he's like, where's your picture of your mom? <laughs> yeah. Why is it? <laughs> which, which, it's so great. Like, it's like, why you should carry that with you always. And then she pushes back for the first time, which she will, you know, do a hundred times throughout the movie. And says, like, well, where's yours? And he's like, oh no, oh no, surprise, bitch. My dead mom's hair is sewed into the lining of my jacket. Yeah. (laughs) Joke's on you, bitch. So it's it's introduced from the get-go that he is... Yeah. um, Mama's boy. He's a mama's boy. She's the one who taught him his craft. He seeks her approval. Like, I'm dying to know what kind of mother she was. Mm -hmm. Was she domineering? Is that where he gets his exacting sense of control? Was she, uh, or, or was she a woman who was constantly uh, evolving into the future? And that scared him because he didn't want change. I think mm-hmm. it's the former, personally. But yeah. I'm dying to know. And that when we meet her as a ghost, she's just standing there. It's so good. It's, it's very so, haunting. 
Yeah, that moment really, really got me. Also made me wonder if it, if they were psychedelic mushrooms mm-hmm. that he was eating. Because he was very ill. He was so ill. Um, Beautiful work, ladies. It's just not very good, is it? <laughs> then he falls! When he collapses onto the dress, I guess. Same. I was kind of hoping, in that moment, I'm like, this is where he's going to get sick. And... I thought he was going to barf on it. I thought he was going to barf on it. Knowing that Paul Thomas Anderson wants to make an airplane-style movie, how hilarious (laughs) would it have been if he had just puked all over the white dress, is the thing. It was a white dress. The princess of Belgium's wedding dress. Yes. Yes. But it works great the way it is. I'm glad that he didn't do that. And at that point, you're still waiting for him to die. At least I I I didn't think he was going to die. You didn't think he was ever going to die? So I, I, for a second, thought... When she started grinding up the mushrooms, I was like, oh, really? She's going to kill him? This yes. is... I didn't like that when I thought that's where it was going. But yeah. then when I realized, no, she just, she wants, just, wants, she just wants him sick. She then wants him I, flat on his back, I, helpless, tender, open. Yeah. Open. open. Um, <laughs> so when he... So, Ben, going back to what you said, when, when Alma puts on the bow when he goes back to tell Cyril... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what does he say? She's a she's a stink in this house. What is it? She's There's a... an air of quiet death in this house, and, and I, like... I don't like the way it smells. <laughs> so what's all this I moaning don't like about? <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> moaning? And he just <laughs> screams about Alma, and she's standing right the there. Bat. And Cyril clocks her and doesn't she knows. stop him. And then he says. Nobody gives a tinker's fucking curse about Mrs. Vaughn's satisfaction. <laughs> what a model of politeness you two are. God, it made me laugh so hard when I saw it for the first time. I was laughing into the next scene. What if this gets nominated for the original screenplay? No, I think it, no way. No, it's no, I, I think, it's I think it has possible. a chance. I think it has a chance. Really? He got nominated for Inherent Vice. He did not get nominated for The Master. No, it only got the acting nomination. But he got nominated. It's just like when, when he missed di- when, when he missed director for Boogie Nights and Magnolia, he still got the screenplay noms. Yeah, I think it's possible. And he would have won if it weren't for No Country. If this movie like swells in the month, in the next six weeks before the voting for the win closes, I think he could win. If it's win like what screenplay? Yes, over. Oh wait. Oh, I mean things. It's a ha- week. I'm just saying, things have to happen. Yeah. I hear you. Like, I get the logic. People like the shiny new toy. Phantom Thread just came out. Voters are seeing it right now. It's Paul Thomas Anderson, who, if he gets nominated for screenplay, it will be his fifth nomination in the category. Yeah. And he's oh, so you're in, just saying he needs to get in, and then once he's in, I think if he, he gets might, in, he might get rewarded if he gets as an overdue in, thing. Yes, and if then the movie is a hit. I think he wins. Yeah. I think this is his most accessible movie in I years. agree, and I think that helps the fact that he could win. Do you say accessible? Accessible, yeah. yeah. I think it's maybe his most accessible. Yeah. Maybe aside from like Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights yeah. which is just good. And clothes. there will be blood, too. Although I remember getting into a big fight with my drama teacher in 2008. Um because I, it didn't come out. I was living in England, and it didn't come out there until like February of that year. I was so, living it, in England. so it already had the Oscar nominations and everything. Mm-hmm. And my fucking drama teacher challenged me when I came waltzing in through the <laughs> into the you know into the theater through the double doors as a seventeen-year-old faggot. Like faggot. I have just seen the greatest American <laughs> film since Cheetahs and Kane. <laughs> And he's like, what the fuck did you see? Did you see Atonement? Because that's not American. I'm like, no. 
I saw There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. And the... I was just knocked out by this film and I just was word vomiting about the uh, capitalism, religion, Daniel D. Lewis's mustache, I drink your milkshake. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I saw it too actually this weekend and I gotta say, what a terrible character. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? Like, he's an anti-hero yet you never root for him but he's endlessly compelling. You can't can't take your eyes off him. It's like, no, I just didn't like him. I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. Nothing worth liking. Holy shit. What? I need to rewatch this yeah, movie. It's the best. But anyway, my, t- I, my I teacher just, was yeah, like, yeah. no, 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 that didn't work for me. The movie's bad because you can't hook into the character oh, psychology. And I... Anyone who Brandon, doesn't like this movie is Brandon, dumb. you saw me fuming <laughs> at this uh, Golden Globes party yesterday when people were shit-talking Lady Bird. <gasps> I actually had physical steam coming out of my ears at that moment in my life. But anyway, I, I do you think... You have a competition movie. in you. I have a competition I have a competition in me. Oh, fuck me. I gotta rewatch this movie. It's one of my all-time things. As I get older, and as I know more about filmmaking, and as as I've seen more movies, I can see the way that it's bursting at the seams in the way that they didn't have any money to make that movie. They had no money. And you can see it now that I'm, like, no mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. But it's like... What it, I think is really fascinating about it is that the you can, see, like you just said, you can see the movie coming apart at it's the It's held together with tape, as I often like to say. But... But where I actually disagree with that, even though I don't care if it's too early for confrontations, I have to say, the movie is told with such a rigorous sense of control. Mm-hmm. The first 20 minutes have no dialogue. Mm-hmm. The camera is just penetrating <laughs> into your sight. It's like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the alien notes, like I was saying at the beginning of Phantom Thread. But the, the movie is, you know, about... It, like in Persona, when the film catches on fire, literally mm-hmm. halfway through, like There Will Be Blood threatens to do that. Yeah. But it is told, I think that PTA has such a sure hand on the camera and the point of view of the characters mm-hmm. at all times that it is just so confidently told that whether or not it, it, it's so flammable. That the it whole makes thing me like it more down. that it's... It feels like pure unhinged creativity. Yes. Yeah. It re- I, I'll never forget. There's a fear when I saw in it. your soul when you watch that world yeah. of blood yeah. that no other movie has produced yeah, ever. Yeah, it's. I don't care. It is a singular if we are gay, experience. and our listeners are primarily gay, and this is often considered a very masculine film. No, it's fucking both. And it is. It's just the best. It's just the best. It's. Do you have a competition within you about capitalism in this country? About religion in this country? Mm-hmm. About the collusion between the two? Yes, every gay person in this country, unless you're a log cabin Republican or just a fucking idiot, Ooh. is stays up at night thinking about how the religious right is bankrolled mm-hmm. by the 1%. How Paul Dano is a little shit. Yes. But, yeah, Paul Dano is the forefather to the... Jerry um, Falwell's. I, I wasn't going to say Jerry Falwell, but no. that's, that's a better example. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, how... You know, we get Jerry Falwells, and then we get rich people like Foster Freeze, right. um, or the Mercers, or the mm-hmm. Koch brothers, and whether or not they're religious, they, it's actually, it's that idea in Mudbound of like, who's the worst person here? The the person who is vocalizing racism, or the person who is not saying anything and just allowing it to happen? Mm-hmm. That's what you get with like the Koch brothers, who mm-hmm. like are pro-gay marriage, and yet like, bankroll the religious right. Right. Anyway, this is all to say, like, if you're a gay person and you don't care about There Will Be Blood, you should consider that the movie is about the inception of how money and um, 
organized religion. How America has been built and off the, the back story, of And it's thing. the story of yeah. America. And exactly. A bastard in a basket. <laughs> oh, yeah, that line. God, that has a lot of good one-liners, yeah. too. He's the, good at the one-liners. Yeah, he's the, the, the best this, writer in Yeah, the world. so th- this is not yeah. a one-liner, but he has such, PTA has such a talent for naming things. Like mm-hmm. Henrietta Harding, Barbara Rose, Reynolds Woodcock. I love, Woodcock. I love, um, what is it, Bandy's Tract. The neighboring oil field <laughs> There will be blood uh, and, and the whole I drink I, I drink your milkshake I drink it up Is about him going Across <laughs> the desert of the land Into Bandy's tract I drink it up Oh my god And this movie I just remembered It, it, was, it was based off oil Which is By Upton like Sinclair a, Like a a pamphlet. Novella. It is a. Is it a pamphlet? It's basically Common Sense by Thomas Paine. Yeah, yeah. sure. Anyways. Yeah, I and just he just like that. turned it into a movie. A three-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Three I hour drink your gin cocktail. <laughs> I drink it up. So your favorite? What's your favorite PTA, Ben? It's it's a it's a complicated question for me because it's just I say that there will be blood is the best movie of the century. Correct. I also say that The Master is my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And those two things fundamentally can't exist together, but that's how I... No, that's that's fair. It's cognitive dissonance in my mind. Like, I... This is controversial, but I don't enjoy the experience of watching The Master. Sure. I just don't. But I it's, understand that it is a masterwork. The movie is about post-World War II America having a gaping hole pain. in their heart. Mm-hmm. In their soul. The movie has a aching soul sickness that thrusts you from scene to scene. Yeah, like it, it underlies is, the whole thing. It is visceral. And I'd yeah, like to put it on the record that I think that Joaquin Phoenix gives one of the f- top five male performances in history in I, that film. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about top five because I wouldn't know what the five I would... Proffer would really be top two up but, against John Cazale in the Godfather movies, and I love John and Dog Day Afternoon too mm-hmm. as a supporting player. My favorite PTA is Punch Shark Well. Fair, <laughs> okay. Is that, a, fair. is that is that boring? No, it's no. highly acclaimed. I wrote a, I wrote <laughs> and my, whether or not it is, you <laughs> think it, Brandon? It's your and fave. I read you, I, Brandon. You're the serial of this podcast, <laughs> so your taste is correct <laughs> all the time. I'm the woodcock. And I'm the Alma. Wait, what's the quote? You just have no taste. (laughs) Maybe you should change your taste. Maybe you don't have any. (laughs) Maybe I like my own taste. Maybe you... Maybe... Wait. Shut up. Maybe I'm looking for a fight. Shut up. The fabric is right because it's right. Maybe one day you'll change your taste. Maybe I won't. Maybe you have no taste. (laughs) Maybe I like my own taste. Maybe you're looking for a fight. Or what is it? Maybe you... Anyway, Um, that's basically it. Yeah. Um, Brandon, your favorite PTA film is Punch Drunk Love. Correct. I wrote my freshman film studies class essay about it. Oh my god. What was the focus of your essay? Color (gasps) use. Yes. Because it's very prominent. Yeah. What's your fave? We're going around a circle. My fave is There Will Be Blood. Okay. But, and Phantom Thread is number two. But I will just say that when I saw Magnolia for the first time, it was on a Friday night in high school. And Mine was on a Friday night in high oh school. Oh my god, Brandon! <gasps> Brandon, Brandon I'm just noticing that you're wearing blue and I'm wearing red. And <laughs> that makes me the Emily Watson and you the Adam Sandler. Oh my god. Which under any other circumstances would be an insult. <laughs> Magnolia changed my life. Um, I stayed in on a Friday night in high school my junior year. 
as I said earlier, I was living in England and we had just had, my old babysitter had just come to visit us and she asked us before coming over, is there anything from America you want me to bring? Like Sour Patch Kids, Oreos, like something that you can't get over there that you can only get here. And I said, I'm going to order a couple DVDs to your apartment (laughs) with the American uh, code Mm -hmm. on them because the regions are different. Like you can't play an American DVD, blah, blah, blah. Like we had American DVD player at my house. So it made no sense to buy British DVDs when I lived there, which was painful. Deeply painful. That is painful. Because I don't know if you guys have ever been to uh, England before, if you've been into Mm -hmm. like an English uh, media store, like a record store, they give away DVDs. It's like three pounds for the greatest hits. You know, your Raging Bulls, your Magnolias, your Citizen Canes, like three fucking pounds. So anyway, so this woman was coming over and I did an Amazon order and she brought it over and then I just put it on my shelf, like very proud, like, oh yeah, I'm going to dig into Mm -hmm. this movie at some point. This movie that I think is probably like a 90 minute, like quirky, like character (laughs) study that is probably slight. So I'll just, I no rush, no rush. So I put it on late on a Friday night on, uh, I had a loft bed, so I'm like two inches from the ceiling and I put it in and then I have to pause for some reason and I see that the runtime is three hours. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh shit. I better get off the bed and get in a chair instead. So anyway, that's all the context of it. Long story short, it made me believe that you could do anything as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. It made me understand audacity. Watching... Watching like two and a half hours of just unabashed melodrama about broken people was something I didn't know you could do because I had not seen any Altman at the time. And then when the storm of frogs came down, that's when I was like, cancel everything. (laughs) I have just seen the movie that makes me want to work in the movies, that makes me want to believe in the movies again, that makes me believe that anything is possible with film stock and camera. Yeah, That's really beautiful. Yeah. So Magnolia is incredibly important to me. And I have a weird relationship with it. You just have it. a lot of love to give. Ben. <laughs> Beautiful. Are you comparing me to, uh, to Quiz Kid Donnie Smith? Quiz Kid Donnie Smith. <laughs> Which That's... I referenced on our last episode, but I made you cut it out. <laughs> because I was, right. I was comparing someone who I shouldn't have been <laughs> to Quiz Kid Donnie Smith. Right. Who cares? Um, that's funny. It was mentioned... Lights, Camera, Jackson. <laughs> I'm putting wow. it on the record. We're going to have to cut don't, it out No, don't delete again. this. Don't delete this. Um, that's funny. You mentioned the runtime of Magnolia because when I watched it with my best friend in high school, it was a girl, and we rented the movie from DVD Netflix and we started at midnight. On oh Friday. my God. There you, go. there you go. And we looked at the runtime and it was whatever three hours and nine minutes mm-hmm. translates to in, in minutes. So it was like 189. Yes, 189s. How were we confused then? Because we thought we thought it was a typo. We thought like, oh, the movie's only 89 minutes or something. Oh, we thought sure. it was like, and then we started like playing it, and it was like still going. We're like, oh, much this- like oh, Goodfellas. It's just a three-hour montage. Yep. Yeah, but that movie, that movie goes. Oh, I rewatched moves. that on a plane, and it was wonderful. Moves AF. It's, I just rewatched it for the first time in many years. Yeah. And I remember the first time I rewatched it in college and thought to myself, this was the work of a genius, but this was the work of someone who was still finding his voice. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that was sort yeah. of a big waking up moment for me. I was like, oh, maybe all of that messy pathos that I loved about it the first time was actually a flaw. Like it could have been reined in. It should have like, should, been hemmed in at certain mm-hmm. points. Um. And I don't know if that's why I didn't watch it for many years after, but watching it again the other night, I thankfully reconfirmed what I thought the first time, which is, how the fuck did this guy 
think so big and how did mm-hmm. he pull this off because yeah. th- that's a movie to me that is told as if it is um the whole movie is poured in concrete but actually was probably held together with scotch tape right yeah i i was getting some amazon trivia while i was <laughs> watching yeah. Hell yeah. And, it, and it said like it was originally supposed to be like a pretty short movie but then he just fell in love with every single character mm-hmm. and wanted to expand all of their stories and it just exploded. See, this is something that for me and and I was totally and still am like in the cult of PTA. Mm-hmm. I totally resent it on some level because no director has made only perfect films. And if you mm-hmm. think that you're not thinking hard enough. Right. But I think every single one of his movies is a five-star movie. <laughs> I mean... I, I'm deeply ingrained yeah. in this. I mean, it's... But, yeah, but much. moving from... Like, The Master was tough for me when I saw it for the first time. In I did not like it. I saw it in 70 at the Dome. I had been broken up with, like, two days before. And uh, a friend had taken me up to go see it. It's a special treat. And she was like, let's, let's, uh, let me go treat you to a beer. So I'd, like, had a beer before the movie on top of everything else. So I was mm-hmm. just, like, sleepy and not expecting... A, it's an onslaught, a, but but I wasn't expecting a distance from the characters, mm. because one of the things that's always marked PTA as a filmmaker is his love for his characters, is empathy, right? And the yeah. master feels closer to Michael Hanukkah. Um, yeah. You really think that? Not so much watching it again. Okay, but I do think that because I think it's really empathetic. I second time around, I don't disagree. But it is in a completely different register yes. than every movie coming before it. Yeah, and it, it keeps it you and it keeps me. you at a distance. It this I just the scene of Joaquin and Philip Seymour Hoffman at the end where they he sings to him. It's, it's, it's one beautiful. of the most emotionally moving experiences I've ever had. I, I feel you, but keep in mind, like just the way that the film starts, it is doing everything it can to not ground you. It's yeah. just a series of shots of Joaquin on the beach, mm-hmm. masturbating, like, masturbating, sand. Yeah, hole. the masturbator, uh, more like <laughs> love making in the time of on cholera. <laughs> yes, drunk on the boat. That shot. right. Yeah. You know what's interesting is that beautiful shot that is often used as a promotional still for the master, where he's leaning over the side of the boat. Yeah, that's what with, I'm doing. With, no, but that movie that sh- that shot is not in the movie. Um, oh yeah, it's actually boat, he's on it's the him mast. on the hall on the mast. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Um, yeah. But you know, but I do love the uh, the Rorschach blot of the open seas and the master. <laughs> but anyway, I think that Anderson has always been an empathetic filmmaker, but he has chosen to bury his affection into the characters in a way that ultimately is more satisfying. Mm-hmm. Because rather than just being like. I love Don Cheadle, and I love Luis Guzman, and I love Julianne Moore, and I even love Mark Wahlberg. Like, instead, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to I'm gonna make you, the audience, work for this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I love these characters. I created these characters. By the end of it, Philip Seymour Hoffman is going to sing a song <laughs> to Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> yeah. but you're going to have to deal with whatever complicated shit I'm going to put you through yeah. leading up to it. Yeah. And ultimately, I find this later... Uh, uh, period of his career much more interesting mm-hmm. whereas when i saw the master for the first time i wondered and i really liked it the first time i saw it but i didn't love it and anderson was by far the most important filmmaker to me at that point mm-hmm. probably because i was immature <laughs> um but i'm just glad to have finally come around and done some growing up myself mm-hmm. to appreciate more challenging shit like the master the master yeah honestly someone just jump in here because i know i'm waxing and it's obnoxious yeah, but i think with the master is when he really becomes an elliptical himself. filmmaker. I mean, like, Boogie Nights has a lot of ellipses in it, mm-hmm. like a lot of time jumps. Hard Eight is, like, almost told in real time, if I'm remembering correctly. I think that's true. Magnolia is a montage. It's darting around. It's playing with time and space. Um, all his films are. But there's something about 
losing chapters of the characters that in yeah. the master you miss entire periods mm-hmm. of what's happening with Joaquin and the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, inherent vice and, is all over the place. And getting Joaquin to the boat. Yeah. It's uh, just like random, like we have this scene where he's in the department store. And now he's Here's a farm worker. where he's cutting the cabbages, the beautifully blue cabbages. And then yes. he's just running. And he poisons then. a man with mm-hmm. his hooch. With his yeah. hooch. Yeah, and then... I had a similar experience as you, Daniel. Like, when I first saw The Master, I, like, just flat out didn't like it. But then I rewatched it recently, and I was like, I'm still not... It's still not enjoyable to me, but I appreciate it. I just... I, I love... Roger Ebert did not like crazy it. Remember that? In film. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... Joaquin Phoenix is the closest that a man has done to Jenna Rollins in A Woman Under the Influence to I me. like that. Mm-hmm. I like that, Bem. And... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's just off of the hinge. Yeah. Out of control what he is doing in this movie. And it just, I'm so deeply moved by his insanity. What yeah. I like about the framing of the character is that he's introduced as an exhibit of PTSD, of like post-World War II malaise, shell shock is what they called it, right? And then he tries to start a normal life. He tries to work as a photographer at a department store. Oh, and that scene where he like puts the light in the man's face. Right, yeah. right. But this is after we've seen that he is now working to project an image of, perfe- of American perfection right. after he has seen the lowest, like most depraved lows mm-hmm. of what being an American means, which is murder in order to... Uh, defend yeah and and Mm -hmm. sustain Um, so he's already shell shocked which gives us enough of an excuse for his insanity Mm -hmm. and then in the first processing scene which is an all time scene Mm -hmm. in the motion Mm -hmm. pictures I think and I thought that the first time I saw it I was like yeah the movie's pretty good but it does have this one scene between him and Philip Seymour Hoffman where they're having a staring contest Mm -hmm. bringing it back to Phantom Thread Um, and you will lose you will lose I mean these movies are sisters and we'll talk about that in a second (laughs) yeah but just that uh he says that his mother's in a loony bin. And then you're like, oh, so he's not just insane because of, like, a national mood. Uh, he's insane he's, because it's in his blood as well. He's yeah. predisposed. And, it, and that's where, like, Anderson has also always had a hyperbole in him as a filmmaker. Or just as a, as a, as a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, which lends itself really well to, like, verbal curlicues and flourishes and, and things like... Um, He's the team able may to be gone, write but the it, perfect line exactly without overwriting it. Right. Let's even, talk about three billboards. I don't. <laughs> oh God. But, uh, let's <laughs> talk about verbosity that feels let's, subtle. Yeah. Let's talk about future best screenplay winner. Three billboards. We're not going to talk about no. Three billboards. But I just—it's <laughs> such an interesting like comparison to make. That yeah. So go ahead, Thomas Anderson. Why yeah. don't you write? Why don't you yes. um yeah. thread the needle between the master and Phantom Thread for us? Yes. Phantom Thread and the master both have a scene at the end of the movie where the theme is spoken aloud, <laughs> and in Phantom Thread, Alma says to the doctor, 
it doesn't matter if Reynolds dies because I know he'll be waiting for me when I die and we will find each other in the next life and the next life and the next life and that is what the master's about which is Scientology is all about past lives past lives lives and being Mm -hmm. reincarnated that that aren't just on earth either yes and there is this feeling of brotherhood that philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix have that is they are tied together in their souls in a way that they cannot explain but not necessarily as allies because what philip seymour hoffman says what lancaster dodd says is if you leave right now when we meet again in the next life we will be sworn enemies Mm -hmm. but if you stay or you could stay stay, yeah which is one of those like heart swelling ecstatic moments where you just feel dodd i have chills right now yeah about it telling quell i love you Mm -hmm. please stay Mm mm-hmm why does he love him? Is it because he represents that animalistic urge that Dodd feels himself but is writing He's against? afraid of. Exactly. Remember when Amy Adams jerks, jerks him off. off and just jerks it right out of him, that animalistic... Yeah, yeah she jerks it out of him and says, yeah. like, get over it with Freddy. Yeah. Get over it. Get over it already. Uh, but, uh, but I... And yeah. then he says something about if you ever... If you learned how to not have a master in this life be sure to tell me in the next yeah it kills me every time i'm I'm curious (laughs) i I miss philip seymour hoffman so much every day that i I think about him every day (laughs) yeah my my pta rewatch when i saw him in um punch drunk and uh all all the yeah he's in literally Uh, (laughs) i yeah i i miss him so fucking much yeah Sucks. He never really sucks. experienced a false note as an actor. I think no, that one of he was always great. One of the most heartbreaking moments in cinema is after P S H's Scotty J in Boogie Nights is turned down by Dirk Diggler after being like, "I just bought a car that I, I just bought your same oh, car." Yeah, he plays a gay. And then he tries to kiss. He plays a repressed gay. He tries to kiss him, and then he shuts himself in the car and just says, "You're a fucking idiot. You're yes, a fucking idiot. You're a fucking so... idiot." Which is maybe. Like you've been saying that Joaquin is in the top five male performances. Mm-hmm. One of the top five truest moments I've ever seen in the yeah. movie. It actually sort of stops the movie dead in its tracks. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to how, as we were saying earlier, whether or not this quality fluctuated has fluctuated throughout his filmography. Anderson knows how to give a performer room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's in a such an unshowy shot, like it's just a static shot. On yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's why it's interrupting of the mm-hmm. flow. This is at like the New Year's party. This is right. before the 1980s happened and before William H Macy shoots himself in the head. Right. Like it's it's sort of the plant to that payoff that uh, that your dreams are not going to uh, match up to reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman so much, and I I of course was affected by Heath Ledger's death, but and, and in a way that is the first real celebrity death of my adult life. But I was 17. Mm-hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman dying is the first like celebrity death that was a tragedy to me. Yeah. As, yeah, because you as think young about what you think about what he would be doing today, and yeah. it just hurts. And he might have been in Phantom Thread. I was thinking about that when I was mm. rewatching The Master this afternoon. I think ultimately it was DDL's role, and sure. Day Lewis helped craft the entire script. Mm-hmm. But I did think about how Philip Seymour Hoffman would have played Reynolds Woodcock, That's interesting. and it would have been in sort of that buttoned-up way that he played Truman Capote, which yeah, we actually didn't see that much from right? Hoffman. Yeah, 
he could have done it. He totally could have done it. And he could have played up the the is this character gay side yeah. of the character. The fae. Yeah. The, the feminine quality. I'm incurable. Yeah. When he says I'm a confirmed bachelor, I'm incurable. And you're like, hmm. Are you gay? Yeah. But he's not gay. He's not gay. No. But the trailer for a second, you think, ah, is it's he going to be A friend of mine the other day who I know will be listening to the podcast, uh, we were watching Rebecca yesterday, which we are going to talk about. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. To, we, we are going to, to talk about Rebecca. But uh, we were about halfway through and she says... You know what's great about this is that like, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but what she was saying is like, you know what's great about this is that all the drama depends on like that every character relationship has so much unsaid underneath. Like every relationship is fraught, mm-hmm. and what keeps you hooked into the experience and watching as a viewer is the tension underlying every relationship between like Mrs. Danvers and Laurence Olivier and Mrs. De Winter and 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 just like the the mood around the whole thing. And I said like, wait until you see Phantom Thread. Because mm-hmm. that's what's driving that, is, that movie as well. Yeah, Rebecca and Phantom Thread have so much in common. It's I, crazy. I have to pee. They're both ghost stories. I have to pee. Talk about ghost stories. Cut this out. I'm going to be really quick. But Once he leaves, say it's a ghost story yeah. again. But keep going. Just okay. keep um, Rebecca and Phantom Thread are both... <laughs> okay, well, I can't speak. <gasps> Rebecca and Phantom Thread are both ghost stories. Yeah. My favorite thing about Rebecca is when Maxim is telling the story of how Rebecca died and mm-hmm. the camera follows nothing around oh, yeah. the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're following Rebecca, the ghost, who is just who is constantly there. Dominating the scene, dominates the movie. Yeah, and so she dominates that house just like Woodcock's mother dominates mm-hmm. that house in his There's mind. This spirit yeah. that has fucked everything up. I think it's... um. I've tweeted this already, but I think it's really interesting that Alma is named Alma because that's Alfred Hitchcock's wife's name. And um, Hitchcock is really known for abusing his female actresses emotionally during the filming of all of his movies. And Alma is the only woman that wasn't equal to him. And we see that here that Woodcock's Alma is really the only equal woman to him. Very interesting. And I think that's an important thing for the film. And I think the reference to Hitchcock means that PTA is fully aware of that and that Alma is named Alma for this specific reason. Yeah. It's the idea of like a powerful man who sweeps a, we assume, unassuming woman Mm -hmm. underneath his grasp. And then eventually they become co-conspirators as it goes on. Yeah. And that is, of course, true with Alma Hitchcock as well, who is sort of like the uh, unwritten auteur of Hollywood cinema. Alma Hitchcock rewrote every single script. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Because she knew what he wanted. Yep. Just like Alma adds a bow to yeah. Woodcock's dress mm-hmm. in the end. Yeah. Isn't get You know, these people don't get credit for the defining features. Mm-hmm. Of the stories that their husbands were. And Alma was there telling. every day. Hitchcock. She was on set. She was always there. Yeah, I would not recommend that anyone listening to this watches the film Hitchcock from 2012. I didn't know. Oh, see God. That. It is a terrible piece of not just like hagiography, but it's just so hacky in the okay. way it tries to infuse the horror elements of Psycho into the psychology of the plot. But is Hel- that the one with Helen Mirren? Yeah, but Helen Mirren plays Alma Hitchcock. She and wears I- the hell out of a one piece. And a wig. <laughs> <laughs> and like a brown moppy wig. Um, but she actually does a pretty good job of uh, getting to the frustration of how that might wear Was on you. Was that the Anthony Hopkins one? 
Yes. And then there was another one with that actor whose name is... Oh, Toby Jones. Yeah. yeah. The girl. And Scarlett Johansson plays... Janet Chippy Lee. No, 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 no. Um, oh, uh, friend of the pod, Sienna Miller. Does she play Tippy Hedren? Plays Tippy Hedren. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, I do love too. Sienna Miller walking to the forest. Uh, yes. Um, we also watched Daniel, You and Me for the first time... Brief Encounter. Yes, I said we all have to watch Brief Encounter. And I'm happy to talk about it because I've brought it up on this show a couple of times yeah. because we watched, I think in a screenwriting class, we watched like the first scene of this movie sure. and then probably I guess the end of it too right. because we watched like the uh, the whole in media res like Carol element where you don't understand how fraught the moment you're meeting these characters is until the end yeah. like, as a device. And I was so happy to actually see the whole thing. Yeah. Just up front, one of my favorite things about Brief Encounter is that it understands how romantic people watching and eavesdropping is mm-hmm. as a couple. Um, I really wanted you guys to watch it because I couldn't stop thinking about it while I saw a fandom thread. And they really don't have much to do with each other other than the fact that they are both about women who seemingly don't have agency but are really pushing the narrative forward. Yes, and... Who also display yeah. the ecstasy and pain mm-hmm. of love on their faces. And in a way, Fandom Thread has this voiceover of Alma, even though it's not technically voiceover. It's like she's talking to the doctor at the end of the movie, and that's a conversation threaded yeah. throughout the film. It's closer to Rebecca than anything else. Yeah. The yeah. narration. Um, but yeah. what, Briefing, uh, what Brief Encounter has in common, apart from the fact that Woodcock's first girlfriend looks exactly like Celia Johnson. Yes. Like, exactly the big eyes, like, the curly, curly oh, short yeah. hair. The same hair. All of it. Um, is that... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm phrasing this in the wrong way. I didn't want to say what it has in common. I just wanted to say how much I love that the narration and Brief Encounter is her describing to her husband... husband. The affair she had. The affair she's had. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it actually does speak to sort of the complicated nature of love and romance that is also in Phantom Thread and that that of course she would want to tell her her, husband who's not only her closest confidant but the person whose opinion she wants on it the most and I think anyone who's ever been in a relationship where they want to talk about something with their partner but realize oh if I was to talk about this with you it would actually shatter the entire thing we have going on Mm -hmm. and yet I want your take more than anyone else's can relate to that idea Mm -hmm. I think that most people can relate to that idea and I think it's really important that it at the end of the movie, it's very clear that he knows something has happened. Yes. He doesn't know what has happened exactly. But she, she's been he shook. Has an idea. He has she's a been line shook. that he says. He says, I'm glad you came back to yes. me. Yes. He yes. Said, I don't gone. know what dream you were in. He said, you were I'm glad you came, back, glad you came back, back to me. And then it ends. And it's very clear he knows, he knows. something yeah. has happened. It's um, crazy. Well, Brandon. No, I was going to say that this was my first uh, new to me for 2018. And I don't know if it will be topped. Like, this... This it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. yeah, this this was like John Dielman level for me. Like I I just watched it in the dark on my laptop and I was just from the first fucking like Carol opening, I was yeah. like this is one of the greatest things. Can I've I ever recommend seen. Billowing you. Smoke has never looked more beautiful uh, in a movie. The train. And it's the about first to fucking shot. The train. And yes, and she gets and the grit in her eye. Angel. Yes, and God, her hair is all messed up. So much. Speaking grit. of hair being messed up, how great is it that the first signal that Woodcock is sick after Alma poisons him for the first time is his hair looks like floppy little horns yeah. in front oh, of his forehead. Because that shot he of him where he, he, he it's always, always very perfect. He always combs it back. Yeah, it's always very perfect. Um, but it was floppy. I Brief just encounter to makes tell you believe you in Dutch angles again. To watch Summertime, 
Oh, which yeah. is also the other David Lean a film? David Lean I need romance to. melodrama yeah, and yeah. is one of my favorite Catherine Hepburn performances. I'll put this out here to anyone who is listening to this who lives in Los Angeles. I am going to be at the Arrow on the 22nd and 23rd of this month, and this is as much as an invitation to the two of you, because they're playing Dr. Zhivago on Friday, oh. and they're playing the 70mm print of Lawrence of Arabia on the Saturday. I'm oh. fucking going. Hell yeah. Is Dr. Zhivago a print? It's a DCP. Then I won't be there. But I'll... Picky <laughs> <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I'm not gonna go see an old movie in DCP, even though But I think that we should all go. And I I'm not just saying go. everyone at the table, I think that anyone listening to this who's in LA should show up to that. And that's how I feel about David Lean after Brief Encounter. Well, then we'll you five dollars. Lit if you on show Lean. Up. That's right. That's right. Lit on Lean. Wait, John Dealman, you yes. brought it up. How have we not talked about how Biddy and her gaggle of dressmakers in this movie uh, are pulling and Cyril pulling the emotional labor for Woodcock's vision? Yeah, they are. They He's are not sewing the dresses together. They are the He's sewing the words never cursed. John Dillman, Van Twa, or uh, yeah, Van Twa de House of Woodcock, Bruxelles. Is and how they I are feel. they are the Sarah Paulson handing out sandwiches for yeah. the reporters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emotional labor, baby. Um, um, we haven't talked about we haven't talked about Barbara Rose, but just I know. really quick that when that character is named and introduced, I have the thought to myself: Am I supposed to know who this is? And then it's... she's there. And it's like she's been there the whole time. Yeah. And you immediately understand this character and this performance. And it's, what, a 15-minute total? No, nope, not even. Not six. even. Six. <laughs> like, it's, it's nothing. It's, and and so it just... It is it works. six Quickly? single scenes. Brandon, like that, that's what I was saying earlier about PTA, is that he now forces his audiences to catch up to him mm-hmm. rather than giving it all from the forefront. Yeah. And I think Barbara Rose is a great example of that. Yeah. The way that you we feel... think you're supposed to already yeah. know who this is. Because all the people in the scene know who she is, mm-hmm. and the movie's right. not spoon-feeding us anything. But yeah, Harriet Sampson Harris is a goddamn revelation. She'll be nominated for the BAFTA Rising Star Award. <laughs> <laughs> and when it, it starts with Cyril is like, Barbara Rose has invited you to our wedding. No, no. It, st- like, it, it starts even before that, where she says, really? Barbara Rose is getting married again. Oh. It's a throwaway line. Oh, okay. At what point? It, honestly, it could be in like the first 15 minutes. I don't even remember that. I didn't so catch it, it until the second time. Throughout. Interesting. Interesting. It is yeah. phantom threaded throughout. Um, but the, so but the sequence you were saying, begins with, Barbara Rose has invited you to our wedding. And he's like, fuck that or yeah. something. <laughs> so and then pissed. she's like... Barbara Rose pays for this house, and then she leaves. And then then we cut cut to to Harriet Harris. But we don't know quite exactly that it's Barbara Rose. We just know she's... That Harriet Sampson Harris is stumbling up the stairs. She's (laughs) She's not day drunk. She's she's morning drunk. She's pushing down the collar, and and Wilcox's like, no. God, that's so upsetting. You're doing so much, and I'm so ugly. (laughs) I'm trying to make you beautiful. And she almost starts crying. In every scene, she almost starts crying until she finally passes Passes out. out. That scene where they go to her room and he forces Alma to drag the dress off of her. That is so good. And he's just standing in the doorway and the guy walks over and he's like, hello, Woodcock. And he's like, Clint? Or whatever his name is. Cal. 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 (laughs) That scene is so crucial to me because a question hangs over the whole thing. How does Phantom Thread feel about love? How does Phantom Thread feel about romance? Is this a romantic film, mm-hmm. or is this a movie that is talking about toxic masculinity? I think or it's how a romantic go- film. I do, too, and I think the scene is really important to it. Because Woodcock wants that dress off of Barbara Rose, 
But he's resigned himself that he's lost this one. Mm-hmm. This is just one to the history books. Alma is the one at the dinner table who is freaking out. She can't behave like this. Isn't yeah. that what she says? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Wearing a wood Alma dress. is the one who instigates the heist. Yeah. And think about like anyone you've ever been with, like when you decide to do something against the rules, but that you have to do in that moment. They're in so order to turned find justice. on yes. by taking the dress yes. off of a drunk woman's it, back. It is none of our business what Mrs. Rose does in her private life, but she will not <laughs> wear a dress from the house of Woodcock. Woodcock. The house of Woodcock. Cut to them. You can give me a little bit too, though. Great. Um, do you want some gin? Cut yeah, to... Sure. Why the fuck not? Something so romantic. In, like, um, in the shorthand of British love stories are the two lovers Thanks. outside of a pub yeah. kissing one another out in front of it. And even in God's Own Country, you get a bit of this. Not with the two guys together, but you get the lead, um, like outside of the pub and that's oh, when he first catches scene. eyes with the hot twink mm-hmm. who's oh, yeah. who's a, the college friend's friend oh god's own country that film with the green dress that film is anybody a want to say anything about god's own country it's it's a solid b for me oh i'm i'm pretty high on it now that uh, you know no it's spoilers fine. but we're we're not going to read or maybe we will our top 25s on the next episode hell yeah but god's tuned. but thank god for We've added 20 through 25 originally. It was just going to be a tight 20. And now we're, you know, we're, we're, we're loosening the belt a little bit, going to 25. Is God's Own Country going to sneak in? Oh, it's not even going to sneak in. It will be easily oh, in. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. good for It'll you. It'll be easily in. And the only time that the three of us oh, have thanks. talked about God's Own Country was at Outfest opening night. when Where we all saw it together. Well, I didn't see it because I, I was working. <laughs> but one of you, and actually it was Ben, said something about, like... I'm the BB <laughs> lamb. <laughs> Oh, the BB Lamb is so cute, but Ben said something about how, like, the movie is actually sort of, like, sex negative because of tragedy that befalls while people are, two boys are fucking. Mm-hmm. I disagree. Oh. I disagree, and we'll talk about it. Great. And we'll talk about Can't it. Can't wait. Probably not on mic, though. I, <laughs> we'll I talk agree. about it. I agree with Ben on that. Yeah. I thought it was very obvious. It was just, it, something about it doesn't work for me. Okay. Well, I don't want to talk about God's Own Country. I want to talk about... What do I want to talk about? Sydney. I just want to say one more thing about Barbara Rose before we leave. <laughs> oh no, are we almost, is it almost that time? Well, I mean, yes. But I just <laughs> meant before we leave this topic. Okay. Um, Harriet Harris gives such a specific sense of who Barbara Rose is. Mm-hmm. In every little moment, the interview with her new Dominican husband. Sensitivity. Sincerity. Sincerity. <laughs> Hold on, let me say it like Cynthia Nixon in a quiet fashion. Sincerity. <laughs> and I don't know, it's just it, she also, just like Joaquin, she tugs at my heartstrings and everyone wants to know, are is are you just marrying her for her money? And she is just sitting there. Yeah. She the best thing about the performance is that she is a mess who is constantly trying to recover her dignity yeah. at yeah. every chance. I like until eventually her oh, jewelry and then forgets and to she, put the last earring in the bag cuz she's so day wasted and she's like she's oh, doing she everything she arm. can everything Bitty. she can to save face until she gives up and face plants her wedding <laughs> at her table. own wedding. Yeah. And where is her After husband? After wiping her mouth with the green with collar the of collar. the dress. Green with envy <sighs> for people with better lives. I 
Oh, I can't wait to see this movie again. Barbara Rose yeah. pays for there this house. There was one more scene I wanted to talk about. There was like a good line. We talked about the dinner. We talked about the breakfast, the crunching, teeth on the spoon. Oh, look, can we talk about the Swiss mountain? Oh, thank you so oh, much. Skiing. So <laughs> the random skiing. All right. Doing. So fan and whatever. Just let me foreground. Phantom uh, let, let me let me introduce what ben, whatever Ben is going to say. But I saw this movie. No, I'm just bringing this up for you to talk. On thank this. you. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't have much to say, but it's I saw this movie. This is the last movie I saw in 2017. I saw it on December 31st, and then that night I came here to Ben's apartment because we all went out together on New Year's Eve. And Brandon had not seen the movie, and Ben had seen the movie, and so I had to sneak little moments with Ben to talk about the movie that I had just seen, which <laughs> Ooh, like changed intimate. everything. And I've said I said to Ben like yesterday, like we can talk about like the psychosexual nature of this movie. We can talk about what it has to say about love. We can talk about the editing. We can talk about the performances. But it is just such a goddamn delight to look at. I mean, it is just such a beautiful, sumptuous it's movie in every gorgeous. frame. Gorgeous. And I love that the probably most expensive location in the whole movie was the Swiss chalet up against the Alps, the mm-hmm. snow-covered Swiss Miss Alps. Mm-hmm. And Alma says goodbye to Reynolds, who is just chilling on a deck chair, like reading a book in his little Steven Spielberg newsboy cap, mm-hmm. and she's going up the mountain. And then we just get a, you know, not a very long shot uh, of Reynolds in the chair with the mountains, the, the snow-covered mountains in the background. And it's this wonderful, like, distance and flattening of the image at the same time. And then it fades, or it rather dissolves into, into a snowfall. Into snow, and then it's Christmas. It oh, is. and then it's them descending the stairs. Yes. It takes your breath away. It's only And there. it's a throwaway shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to do that transition. And it's I like there for that. I was excited about the dinner scene on, when I watched it again today. I was excited about Kiss Me My Girl before I get sick. Like I was excited about all these moments. I was mostly excited to see the shot of him against oh, the mountains again. I remember what shot I wanted to talk about. When he finally decides to follow Alma to the dance. Oh yeah, I want to talk about this. And scene. through the windows, you see everything that's happening and mm-hmm. he's just alone and quiet. Yeah. Again, I just like that a lot. Why would Woodcock want to celebrate the new year? And that's another yeah. Rebecca connection, the costume party. Yes. Yeah. So um oh, and another connection to Rebecca is when um the new De Winter descends the stairs wearing the thing. Which Rebecca's you costume know dress. She's not supposed to be wearing. And, and it's I, very similar to when Alma throws the dinner for yes, Brandon. Woodcock. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know it's gonna go poorly. It's gonna go horrible. So, I so I put this in my letterbox review of the movie. Similar. But if anybody with any uh, like editing skills is listening to this, I am desperate to cut together. Um, Joan Fontaine descending the staircase in Rebecca's dress, anticipating a grand reveal, and then every character be like, "What the fuck are you wearing?" Are you With the curb your enthusiasm and credits, like a <laughs> bum bum bum, <laughs> like on Joan's face, like what, what? And then, like, directed by Joan Fontaine. That's so funny. <laughs> so if anyone can do that, I'll Venmo you the five dollars we're getting from Cool House. Um, but yeah, I just I love how similar. Yes, how amazing. Vicky Creeps is... Oh, we haven't even talked about the Creepster. Jeepers Creepers. We did. You brought her up. Not really. On New Year's, when they finally are face to face, and there's this wordless scene, and the music is playing, and they're just staring at each other, Mm -hmm. and she is just giving the most electrifying glare I've ever seen. Yeah. It... I don't even know what to say about it, other than it just... I know exactly where both of them are. There's... 
just such towering actors, both of them. It's hard to act against three-time Academy Award winner Daniel Day-Lewis. I was Day about Lewis. to say, I don't mean this in a gendered way, but you're talking about probably the greatest actor of his generation. Right. And this is an ingenue who is forced to not just hold her own, but win yeah. at the end of the day. Who auditioned for this movie thinking it was a student film. Have you guys heard that? No. no. She no. didn't realize she was auditioning for the Paul Tom, or she didn't know who he was. One something like that, and she thought, "Oh, this must be a student, and I don't really care." Oh, and she just like God. went in, and did the thing. Holy shit! Yeah, I yeah, say I, again, I love that Jeepers scene. fucking creepers. Mm-hmm. She is a natural talent born star. And the yeah. moment that I think about every single day from this movie, mm-hmm. I live here. When she walks up to the Belgian princess and says, "Je m'appelle yes. And the princess is like, it's very nice to meet you. And there's a wonderful pregnant pause. And then she says, I live here. (laughs) Ugh. It kills. It also... And she walks away. She doesn't wait for a response. That's it. She just wants her to know. I think about the arrival of the Belgian princess where Alma is just standing in a row of employees. Mm -hmm. And she's the first person that the princess does not greet with a hello. But just the idea of Vicky Creeps eventually becoming just one of the staffers in the house just blends into the background also makes me think of Rebecca. Mm. And that Mm -hmm. when Mrs. DeWinter eventually reclaims her agency and decides, oh no, Rebecca's dead. I'm the woman of the house. I'm Mrs. DeWinter. Mrs. Mrs. Danvers, I appreciate your lesbian crush. I am an ally. However, I am also Mrs. DeWinter. That's almost... (laughs) Leslie Manville very almost does the... You can see my hand through. Well, I, I, Rebecca. Yeah. In the like, I was thinking lemon of juice. I would <laughs> when she smells her. <laughs> we did have fish for dinner. <laughs> Sandalwood. Put when we go, she was like patchouli. <laughs> Excuse me. I <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> so excited. I spent a lot of time the first time I was watching this comparing. Uh, Cyril to Mrs. Danvers, having never seen Rebecca, yeah. but you have a certain idea of who Mrs. Danvers is. Yeah. If anyone has seen Julieta Almodovar's oh, most yeah. recent oh, film, yeah. which is one of his best, because it's him exercising a level of restraint we've never seen before. I like Almodovar does Julieta. big splashy colors, and this one he's like, I'm going to use the color white, mm-hmm. which uh, Anderson also does in this film. Yeah, but yeah, first time I saw this movie, I was like Cyril's Mrs. Danvers, and watching it again, I'm like, what if Mrs. Danvers, but she doesn't become pathetic in the end. Mm -hmm. Like when we meet Mrs. Danvers, we're meant to think she is the person in charge of the house. And then by the end, we're like, actually she was just in love with Rebecca. Right. Mm -hmm. But Cyril actually is the Ed Harris and Snowpiercer, (laughs) which is a weird uh, comparison, but like the person who is actually in charge of the whole thing from the get go. Yeah. We built this house. I built this train. You and me. The thing about Rebecca, I always forget that there's like a full like court situation at the end. I always forget that's coming. I can't wait till you guys see In the Fade, and if it gets nominated, we'll talk about it later. Not going to say what that means, but uh, teaser. Um, The last thing that I really want to make sure that we talk about is when (laughs) there are first creeps. Yes. Their first date when he measures her. Oh, oh, I love that scene. Oh my god. And she like he likes he puts the, belly. the dress on her. He likes little belly. He likes mm-hmm. little belly. Uh, stand like wh- you were standing you, before. I I am. I am. Oh, stand straight. Well, you didn't say that. Yes. 
Oh my god! And that is the first moment you get—not maybe not the first, but one of the it's bigger. Like, it's not the first, but, but it's one of the big fight. But it's one of the big clapbacks that yeah. Vicky Creeps gives in the movie. Ooh, clapback! Yeah, that's great. what she's doing the yeah. whole time. This baby. is a relevant contemporary podcast. We use words. And Cyril's uh. face when he says, "Can you take this down?" Well, like I think that she gives the pencil whoosh uh. to rival Bob Odenkirk in the post, oh, where yeah. she pulls out a notebook for the measurement measurements. We get one of our first real inserts of the movie, I think. Alma. Alma. Underline. And it made me think... What made me think, what else is in this <laughs> notebook? I think if you turn one page mm-hmm. before, it's, it's the, the previous other girl. Previous girl. Yeah. For sure. But Cyril doesn't know that this is the last page in the notebook. Right. Yeah. God. And I just I love just... that she's yeah. the muse immediate. It's not like... He has a relationship with her, and then she becomes the muse. Yeah, it is the day that they have right. Out. And, and, and yeah. muse is a really loaded word because mm-hmm. it sort of infers a level of subservience, yeah. a lack of agency, just a level of beauty where that inspires the male artist, and mm-hmm. that's all they have to do. Right. But which is why this movie isn't I mean, really about point, toxic masculinity. That is what it is, Right, right. But she becomes a quote-unquote muse because she challenges Woodcock and actually forces him to grow up. Mm-hmm. Watching it again today, I, from the get-go, was viewing Woodcock as a fucking baby. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first time, I was just in awe of this man in power. And right. now from the very yeah. beginning, like I'm laughing at him trimming his nose and ear yeah. hairs because it's you just know so he's... fussy. Yeah. They both call each other oh, fussy, fussy, by the way. Maybe he's too fussy. <laughs> maybe he's too fussy. I think maybe he is too fussy. Too fussy. And she says it like she's just moved in. Mm-hmm. This is how you know that Alma's not going to take any shit. Alma takes no shit 2017. Oh, God. I just... Back to Cyril. I just... If breakfast is ruined, then he will never get the rest of his day back. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> you do now. She- and she says that as T is already going down her gullet. <laughs> oh, when Alma does the really tall glass uh, pour, which I was doing with Ben's Brita filter when I got here. <laughs> which she and she also the, and then she the goes time, into it on the last one. On the last one, she goes Yeah, <laughs> it's just the final fuck you period of it. Uh, this movie's the greatest comedy of 2017. It is. Yeah, second I mean, to girls trip. Let's just. Let's be academics here and say, in the strictest terms, no one dies and there is a wedding. It's a comedy. Old, there you oh, go. I like that. Old I like style that. comedies are not necessarily funnier than tragedies. Yeah. They just no one dies. Whether That's or not Vicky yep. Creeps instructs the audience how mm. to fuck a grapefruit, mm-hmm. she does instruct you how to hilariously butter toast. It's true. Nice. I just want to get this in I'm real quick. Buttering my toast. I want to get this in real quick, but. When you guys remember when There Will Be Blood came out, everyone was like, holy shit, does P.T. Anderson care about Stanley Kubrick? Mm. I thought he was an Altman guy. I thought he was a Scorsese protege. Holy shit, he's so obsessed with control mm-hmm. and sort of, a, a again, like operatic, uh, cosmic yeah. sense of imbuing every... Like, he imbues every sense with, like, an operatic, cosmic sense. This is the end of the podcast. I'm beyond being articulate. But what I like about this movie in that Kubrick tradition that kind of took everyone by surprise is he leans into Barry Lyndon more than any other movie here. I've never seen it. Well, neither have I. I've watched like... No, I haven't either, but I don't need to. For for my example, I don't need to. Which is that most of the film is lit by candlelight or natural light. Whether it actually is, it is is meant to invoke this feeling of 
every character only has light on their face because there is a candle or a lamp next to them. Or I love that all the daylight scenes are really flatly lit. Yeah, which is because of it. all of the lights streaming in through the copious windows. Yes, I love it. Um, and I think it builds a verisimilitude to the period, going back mm. to the sound design, which is dramatic and gives a sense of reality to everything, yeah. grounds the film. And I think that the cinematography is the same way. And does anybody else want to say anything else about Phantom Thread, the newest film by Paul Thomas Anderson, husband of Miss Maya Rudolph? No, I just looked up what time it is, and I'm like, okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so it is late. Yeah. Woo! So this has been Movies IMO. This is our longest episode ever. We have yes, that's exactly longest right. Yeah. Um, I'm Daniel Crook. I am lit on Leslie, and you can find me on Twitter at Daniel Crook with three O's. And you can thread between those three O's if you're nasty. If you're nasty. If you're naughty. It's a little bit naughty, isn't it? (laughs) With cream, with breakfast. It's a little bit naughty, isn't it? What does Leslie say about porridge? Like, it's essential for porridge. (laughs) Cream. And it's it's like... PT, God damn it! I'm sorry, guys, but I love right Paul, before that. Leslie's like, did he really? <laughs> Paul Thomas like Anderson knows moment. comedy, and he knows that there's almost nothing funnier than a great line delivered off screen when the character's <laughs> not in the frame. Yeah, and Leslie's saying that cream, it's essential for porridge, <laughs> is one of those instances. Back to you, Ben. And then he's eating it. A sludgy breakfast. Sludgy. Um, my name is Ben MB. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. I love a sludgy breakfast. Oh. Wow. Um, what I like a porridge. Have oh, you seen meal. Tony Erdman? Duh. <laughs> this a is dirt. this is so inappropriate. But anyone who's made it to the end of this episode deserves to hear it. But a sludgy breakfast makes me think about the petite four that she forces the guy <laughs> to relieve himself onto in the hotel room. Oh. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at Movies IMO. <laughs> Don't delete that. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. We're on iTunes. Brandon is making the most horrified, aghast <laughs> stares I've ever seen. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on most podcast places. Google Play. We're on the Google Play. We're not on Spotify. Yet. Write a letter to your senator. That we know of yet. That we know of yet. Brandon. (laughs) This is not the Lady Bird episode. So, the last 20 minutes here, let's talk about Lady Bird. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll just do a quick squeeze. I won't say anymore. I will just say, first one to cry wins. I'm already crying. Congratulations to Greta and Sir Chef. Good night. Fonda. Thank you.
Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.